Oh, Father, I thank you so dearly. I thank you so much for the gift that you've given us. Lord, let us understand how small we are and how magnificent you are. Lord, let your words speak boldly. Let them be spoken loudly. Let us feel your presence and let us understand how magnificent you are. Lord, I lift your name on high and I give you the glory in everything that is said and just pray that you will comfort our hearts and let us understand the power of who you are. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So since it's the day after Independence Day, I wanted to read something for you. On July 1st, 1776, the Second Continental Congress met in Philadelphia. And on the following day, 12 of the 13 colonies voted in favor of Richard Henry Lee's motion for independence. The delegates then spent the next two days debating and revising the language of a statement drafted by Thomas Jefferson on July 4th. Congress officially adopted the Declaration of Independence. And this is what it reads. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, all men are created equal. All men are created equal, but there is a decision to make. And in this parable, the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16, we're going to start at verse 19. We're going to see how important this decision is. We're going to understand here that Luke is is clearly laying out two eternities. And at first glance, when you read this text, when you look at this text, it seems pretty straightforward, but it, it goes so much deeper. You see, I use this text when I explain what happens to us when we die. This comfort that we have when we die, when our next breath is in the presence of Jesus. And just yesterday, I was sharing the gospel with a man from California who was a a Buddhist. He grew up Buddhist. And it was amazing to see the Holy Spirit working in his life as he's, he's struggling with this decision. He has these Buddhist principles, but he sees something more in Jesus. And to see this light coming on in his head. And to see that this man is is searching for something. And I don't know about you, but when I read this text, as I read this text and I try to be a father, and I try to be a husband, and I try to be a a pastor, and I try to be a coach, I, I start to see my failures. I start to relate to the rich man and not to Lazarus. You see, it's so difficult sometimes to stand up in this pulpit when just yesterday you're arguing and fighting with your wife. But to understand that it's it's not me. It's not what I do that allows me to be a pastor of this church. And I get it, there's, there's restrictions there. I'm not saying that, but it's, it's Jesus' power. 
It's His death on the cross that a wretched, black-hearted man like me can even remotely stand up here and preach from this pulpit the Word of God. It's all Jesus. You see, my own understanding is not enough. It can only be through Jesus and His work on the cross. Let's look at Luke 16, 19-21. through There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what felt from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and he saw Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you are in life, received your good things. And Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here. And you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able. And none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send me to my father's house where I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses, and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I look at this text, and Pastor Bill keeps giving me these texts about heaven and hell. I'll have to thank him for those ones. But there's so much more to this text. And it'd be so unfair for me to only talk about this this rich man going to hell and this poor man going to heaven because there's so much deeper concepts in this particular text. But it would also be equally detrimental for me to not mention the power of money and how it can take over our soul if, if we're not careful. You see, in the Bible, often it mentions how impossible it is for a rich man to go to heaven. But we know that can't be what this text is saying. I look at Acts 16 and I see this woman, Lydia, this seller of purple and fine linens. And it says that she was a worshiper of God. And it says that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And then I love this part. After she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This woman prevails. You see, Lady Lydia was a, a well-off woman. And she's commended for her service to the kingdom of God. And it says, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention So we come to the conclusion that that even a rich person can go to heaven. But it's still important for me to talk about the dangers of money in our lives. 
And Scripture tells us in Matthew 19 that it's harder for a rich man to go to, to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I mean, that sounds really impossible. And I'd love to tell you that this is some amazing story and there's some historical perspective and that Jesus is using this hyperbole to drive home a point, and, and maybe He is in some ways. But we often do it. We use these figure of speeches. For instance, when we say that my dad is going to kill me. Now my daughter just said this on Thursday as she's running over the back of my wife's legs. But she's still alive and dad didn't kill her. And I remember when I was younger, just outside those doors, we used to have rocks down in front of this the front of the church. And me and one of my buddies, Casey Gooders, we decided that it would be fun to take rocks and throw them at cars as they came by passing on a, on a Sunday night. And I remember we just so happened to hit one of those cars. And we just so happened to break a window in one of those cars. And we took off running that way and we came around the block and came back this way. And as I'm coming up, I can see my father's face. And it had that face like my father was going to kill me. Now, I'm up here still speaking, so obviously that didn't happen. May have got a few spankings that night for sure, but I'm still around and, and I respect my father for it. I look at these texts and I see this, this hyperbole that the Jewish people spoke. and We have to be careful here because Jesus really means that this is impossible. He really means that this is impossible to be saved. I look at it and I'm pretty sure that there is no way that a camel is going through the eye of a needle. And some pastors may stand up here and talk about this needle gate and how a, a camel, if he goes on his knees, can sneak through there. So it might be very difficult, but it's still possible. And that's not what this text is trying to say. This text is saying that, that to come, to be saved, is absolutely impossible without Jesus. And Jesus even goes so far in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, the Ten Commandments are easy compared to what Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. And He makes it very clear that it is impossible to go to heaven, to be saved without Jesus. I mean, He truly wants us to understand that. Because if we don't understand how impossible it is for this black-hearted, wretched sinner to be saved, then how will I truly understand the impact that Jesus had on that cross? And I look out and some of us think we're good. I mean, we think we can make it on our own. We think we can do enough good things to make it on our own. And I like to compare it to this. If I jumped into the ocean right next to Katie Ledecky, I might make it maybe a mile or two. And she may make it a hundred miles, but we are both super far away from Hawaii. Unless a boat shows up and takes us. And Jesus is that boat. He's the one that carries us to this promise. Jesus is everything. And I don't know that we really understand how rich we are in the United States. I don't think we absolutely get it. Do you understand that, that if you make $10,000 a year, you are richer than 80% of the world? If you make $30,000 a year, you are richer than 95% of the world. 
And if you make 50,000, 98.5% of the world is poorer than you are. And at 60,000, you are in the one percentile of world earners. That means that you are richer than 7,722,000,000 people in this world. I'm pretty sure that if only rich people could go to hell and poor people go to heaven, every one of us is host. If money was only the, the determining factor, then every one of us would be out of luck. But this text, this parable is not talking about our money. It is talking about our heart and examining our heart. And each one of us pleads with Jesus. We don't have this desire to end up like the rich man. And thank God this isn't a money sermon. I'm not talking about your wallets. Thank goodness. But I'm talking about our hearts, which is so much greater. Our hearts that we give to Jesus. And only He, only Jesus can save us. I want us to discover what Jesus wants us to do with our hearts. In the second part of this text, I want us to understand the significance of what it means to be comforted in the presence of Jesus when we die. And then I also don't want us to forget this, that we have one life. We have one life to live. And I ask you, have you surrendered it to Jesus? So let's look at this condition of the heart, starting at verse 19 of Luke 16. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen who who feasted sumptuously every day. And in his gate laid a poor man who was named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Lazarus here, he doesn't want anything special. And he desires just the leftovers. He wants just the leftovers. He wants just what he needs. And God, he calls us to give the best and the first of what we have. And this rich man, this rich man gives nothing. God puts Lazarus at his gate right there so Lazarus can help this man. And the rich man does absolutely nothing. Lazarus was hurting He was hungry. He he needed medical attention. And yet the rich man ignored him. Lazarus was lower than the dogs. Matthew 15, 27 tells us that, that even the dogs ate from the crumbs of the rich man's table. And I think we have a hard time relating to this because most of us in America, we love our dogs. In fact, we love them more than a lot of people, to be honest with you. But if you're in the Jewish culture, that's not the case. Jewish people hated dogs. In fact, there was this thing called the Talmud, which was basically like these written oral laws that were actually written down for more laws on top of the actual laws. And then there was these commentaries and all of these uh, observations and these discussions about it. Basically a book that only lawyers want to ever read. I'm not even sure they want to read. I just asked a lawyer in the last service and he didn't want to read it. But in that book, it says that all dogs must be chained up. And in that book, it actually says that anybody that raises dogs should be cursed. I mean, they are not man's best friend if we're talking about the Jewish culture. And if you look at it, Jews, what did they call Gentiles? Dogs. 
as we look at this rich man's heart. This rich man, he cares nothing for Lazarus. And a heart that cares nothing for those that are suffering is not a heart that's in tune with Jesus. As Christians, we should be devastated when we see suffering that is around us. And I believe as Christians, we should always be evaluating our heart. And I'm not saying we should be evaluating our salvation. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying whether or not we are in tune with what Christ wants us to do. How Christ wants us to live. Are we in tune with Christ's and His purpose for our lives? You see, a while back, right when I became a Christian, right when I came to Christ and surrendered my life to Him, I read this book by R.G. Letourneau. It was a biography about him. He's this prolific inventor of these earth-moving machinery, these things that young men love, watching him manufacture and come up with these huge, massive instruments that move tons and tons of dirt. And he comes to Jesus. In the end of his life, he's giving 90% of his income away, and he's only living on 10%. Now I get it. This guy is absolutely loaded. But the heart behind it and seeing his heart is he's sharing the gospel with everybody he meets. And if you haven't read this, I recommend it highly. You see, our hearts determine our destiny in eternity. Who have we given our heart to? And as we continue on, we see this common theme in the Bible. We need to listen carefully to these because these are the words of Jesus in these parables. And when we die, we're in the presence of the Lord. We take our last breath, and the very next breath that we take is in heaven or hell. When we die, the very next breath that we take is in paradise or torment. Verse 22 says, The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Abraham and Lazarus, they're in heaven. And this rich man is buried. He's in the depths of hell. And Luke, he's contrasting these two realities, these two eternities. And whether we like it or not, the condition of our heart determines where we go. And it is in an instant. We have one chance. In an instant, we are in the presence of the Lord or we're away from Him. And the Jehovah Witnesses, it's not like that. They believe in this soul sleep. And I pulled this information I'm about to say from their very website. They believe that in the end, we turn to dust and that we will be resurrected by Jesus. Now, that doesn't sound too far-fetched until I start talking about they believe that our soul will die. Our soul dies like the rest of us. But then I read 2 Corinthians verses 5-8 through and Paul says right there, Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that Paul knows a little bit more about this stuff than I do or anybody besides Jesus. I pray that we never stray away from these truths. How much comfort is it to know that when we die, we're in the presence of Jesus? How much does that speak about our God and what type of character our God has? How many people can we comfort with those very words? When I'm speaking to a man that used to be a Buddhist, how much comfort does that mean to that man? 
You see, there's a reality. When we die, we can either be in comfort of the Lord or we can be in torment. And that's what this text says. Verse 23, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. He started looking at that. Can you imagine being in torment, in pain, agony, anguish? You're, you're in hell. And you can see what it would be like if you would have chose a different route, if you would have chose to follow Jesus. To me, that's hell. And in verse 24, he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish and in this flame. This rich man is suffering, and yet he's still thinking about himself. Which is so common when we're in pain. I don't judge him for that, but but ultimately we'll be judged on whether or not we accept Jesus. That's a reality. And when we accept Jesus, it should lead to this compassion. And I love what the rich man is saying here. He's not saying, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me. But in reality, mercy is given in this life. The next stage in eternity is consequences. The rich man, he gets his answer from Abraham. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. In Lazarus, in this manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. This text isn't saying that that we cannot receive good things on this earth. It's saying that if we put our faith in the good things of this earth and not on the good things of heaven, where will we be? You see, possessions were not what drove Lazarus. We know that because of where Lazarus was. We know that that Lazarus has this love for Jesus. And when we look out, when we compare this to eternity, this life is but an inch in a rope that spans around the globe an infinite amount of times. And nobody, nobody would trade an inch of good for an eternity of bad. And yet, that's exactly what we do. I'm here to tell you that this life is our only chance. Verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. There is one chance. Now we may have 80 or 90 years of chances, but when this life is over, I believe that when we die or Jesus returns, our inch is up. You see, that time frame, that inch, we have a decision to make about who Jesus is. And it's right there in front of us, and yet so many of us never make the decision to surrender to Jesus. And I believe that God, He puts this desire on our hearts. When we look out, we see so many people worshiping. And whatever it is that you may worship... Maybe it's yourself, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your job or or the nature that's around us. Maybe it's other religions, whatever it may be, world peace. Maybe it's the one true God. I mean, do you think that it's a coincidence that we have this desire in our hearts to worship? I don't. In Isaiah 8, 18 through 22 says... Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are signs and portents in Israel, 
from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. And when they say to you, inquire the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and mutter, should not a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? To the teaching and to the testimony, if they will not speak according to his word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, and when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into the thickness of darkness. All religions, all people are searching for something. All people are searching for something that I believe is right there. Jesus. A man that had barely no possessions, merely the clothes on his back. A plain looking man from a small, insignificant country. Is probably the most written about man in the history of mankind. Is the most written about man in the history of mankind. And it's not even close. I mean, do we really think that this is a coincidence? And I look out and I say, please. All these people, they're choosing darkness when light is right there in front of them. And eventually, Lazarus, he he understands some compassion for his brothers. But it's too late. You see, I believe so much that so many people that that choose darkness all of a sudden are going to get to hell and they're going to say, compassion, help me, have mercy on me. But it's too late as they're viewing perfection. And it's our job as people who have surrendered our life to Christ, to share what God has done in our lives, so fewer and fewer people have to look up and say, it is too late. Now we have the Bible here. We can share the Word, the truths that are in this Bible to others. Not only does it change that inch, but it changes the entirety of eternity. Let's look at verse 27. And then he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. He cares so much about these five brothers. He says, So that you may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. He doesn't want them to see it too late. But Abraham, he says, the Moses and the prophets, right? let them hear them. And he says, No, Father Abraham. But if someone comes from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, They do not hear Moses and the prophets. Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I mean, if someone should rise from the dead. Have we really thought about that? What Jesus is saying here. I mean, the Word of God is given to us by God. It's right here in front of us. This book that we have. Not only can we look out the world and see the magnificent in it. We can see this this general revelation that God has given us. We can see special revelation that God has written for us. Through the men that wrote it in the Holy Spirit. I mean, did you read 30 closely? I mean, Jesus is saying, I've already given you this Bible. 
And not only that, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus. Maybe a different Lazarus. Maybe he's prophesying. I don't know, but he sure is using the name here. And Jesus raises Lazarus and still people do not come to a saving grace. If that ain't enough, Jesus says that He's going to die on a cross. He goes and dies on a cross. He says that He's going to raise from the dead. He goes and raises from the dead. And men throughout history have tried to prove that He is still in the tomb and He is not. And my favorite pastor says that if the tomb is empty, everything is possible. And thank you. Thank God. 2 Peter 1, 16-21 says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased We ourselves, we heard His voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to the lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they carried along by the Holy Spirit. God has given us an opportunity. We have no excuses. Prophecy after prophecy, truth after truth, each holding true. This very nation that we are in was founded on the belief in the one true God, a Creator with perfect morals. Perfect truths, absolutes for all people. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of God. And yesterday was so important as we celebrated our independence. And I'm so blessed to be an American. We are so blessed to be an American. But our Creator gives us life and liberty. And we, when we accept Jesus as our citizens of something so much greater than this country. And I love my country, but I love my God. And there's no work visas in heaven. There's no work visas in heaven. There is only citizenship. And when we accept Jesus as our Savior, when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the one true God. And we are citizenships, citizens of heaven. Man, you see, only a perfect God could send a perfect son. And only that is sufficient for the salvation of a wretched, black-hearted Man's sins. And only because of that can this wretched black heart be washed as white as snow. Nothing else is sufficient. It is Jesus and it is nothing. Jesus is everything. 
Are we going to make that decision to trust in Jesus? And when we make that decision to trust in Jesus, where does that lead us? What is the mission that we have in hand? And that's to go out and make sure that there aren't people in this world that go, why? Why did I make the wrong decision? That look out there and go, it is too late. I don't want anybody in this world to say that it is too late. Who's your heart devoted to? See, I love this country. I love the United States of America. But I love my God. And I love the kingdom of heaven more. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you that you saved a black-hearted, wretched man like me. That even when I do things that are stupid, I do things that I display not caring about others. When I act like the rich man, when I don't help other people, that you were there and that your death on the cross was sufficient. Not what I do, but what you do, Lord. And I can continually turn to you and, and get forgiveness for my, for my black-heartedness. And that you don't see me as black-hearted, but you see me as white as snow. And that I can come in the presence of my Lord because of your work on that cross. And I pray that if anybody has not surrendered their life to Christ, whether it's in this room or whether it's watching online or whether it's anywhere in this community, that they would have that desire and that the Holy Spirit would infiltrate and that they would drive them to knowing your name. Lord, I pray that nobody would have to look up and say it is too late. Let us be in comfort. Let us be in comfort of Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.